Welcome to Aspen Insight from the Aspen Institute. I'm Zach St. Louis. And I'm Marcy Krivenen. This is our last episode of Season 1. We hope you've enjoyed learning about the work of the Aspen Institute. Later in the show, we'll give you a glimpse into what we have in store for Season 2. But first, we're going to dive into a story about how people from different religious faiths can find common ground. Over the last few years, violence against religious minorities in the United States has risen dramatically. Zinat Rahman works for the Aspen Institute's Justice and Society program, and she lists some statistics about this from the Anti-Defamation League, or ADL. In 2017, just this past year, the ADL reported that anti-Semitic incidents surged 57%, which is the greatest single increase since the ADL started recording these things. In 2016, the FBI reported that hate crimes against Muslims increased 20%. Her program focuses on how law and policy can protect our fundamental rights. It's pushing for more religious pluralism to create ways for people from different faith backgrounds to fully get to know each other, learn about other faiths, and come to respect one another as fellow citizens. I recently spent some time with a group that really embodies this work. Adam's Beat is a youth chorus unlike any other in the country. It's based in Sterling, Virginia, near Washington, D.C., and is made up of students between the ages of 7 and 14. They get together one night a week to rehearse. The students all go to different schools, but have become really good friends through the chorus. They not only travel together throughout the D.C. area to perform, but they also spend time having fun, sharing meals, and going on field trips. Went to a place called Zava Zone. It's like zip lining and then trampoline park. High ropes are scary. Like, you feel like if you just take one step, you could fall over and boom. But what makes Adam's Beat so unique is that they are the first Muslim youth choir in the United States. You will not find a mosque with a choir. Forget a youth choir, you won't even find an adult choir because it's just not part of the way we do our services. Hurinessa Fariad directs Adam's Beat. She tells me that the Adams Center, the mosque and community center where the chorus is based, saw the group as a chance to build community, despite the fact that singing is not traditionally affiliated with Islam. Sometimes the Muslim community doesn't really believe in singing. They sometimes feel like singing is, like, bad. But I personally do not feel like that. Radia is 11 years old and a member of the choir. She's also her Ines's daughter. She loves participating in the chorus. I like to sing like really lo- like loud songs because it's like fun to like like sing them and then mess up and I go like <laughs> oh, <laughs> like I crack. The imam at the Adam Center, Imam Majid, asked Hernessa to start this chorus because she had a background in music. She took on the project and before she knew it, the chorus blew up in popularity. We had 20 kids in the beginning. Now I have about 43. I get requests on a you know, weekly basis of parents asking me, can my kids join? And for me, I have to literally say, I have no space. (laughs) As more people started to hear about Adam's Beat, they were invited to perform at other places in the Washington, D.C. area, often in other religious spaces like churches and synagogues. I think Rabbi Lustig from the Washington Hebrew Congregation is probably their second biggest fan after (laughs) Imam Majid because he asks them to come all the time. I invited Beats to participate and to sing at the opening of our Martin Luther King service. Rabbi Bruce Lustig is the senior rabbi at the Washington Hebrew Congregation. He tells me about one day in particular when the chorus came to sing at his synagogue. So we had young fourth and fifth graders 
together, Jewish and Muslim, who learn songs together in both Hebrew and Arabic and in English, and they greeted the congregation with song. Rabbi Lustig recalls what happened later that night over pizza. What happened in that dinner was, is a little girl turned to another little boy, and the little boy who's from the Muslim faith turned and said, so your Torah, that's like our Quran. And they go, yeah. And they go, well, what does it say in it? Well, it says the same thing I think your Quran says about teaching us how to be a good person. And by creating that opportunity for those kids to sing together and be together and to eat together, they don't think as the people from Adams or Beats as others, but as their brothers or as their sisters. And that is what this is all about. He explains that these types of interactions are essential to getting people from different faiths to get to know and respect one another. My mother always told me, and all of her mothers tell us, stay away from strangers. So as long as the Christian community or the Muslim community are strangers to my community, the Jewish community, we're going to stay away from them. So the reality is, is you have to bridge that. Adam's Beat has become an interfaith institution by teaching its members about other faiths and letting people from different religions get to know the Muslim community while breaking down misconceptions. A lot of people, when they see us, they're like, whoa, those are Muslims? I'm like, yeah, we are. In addition to using Adam's Beat as a way to teach other communities about Islam, Haranessa wants the students in her chorus to learn other valuable lessons about their own identity. One of the main things that I wanted the kids to learn was the fact that they're American. So now you hear them say, yeah, we're American, we're American. And this concept sounds so weird because anywhere you go, Americans always say I'm American, right? But this idea of instilling that confidence in them with Muslim kids is very new because we've always kind of been pushed to say we're different. We're not American, but we are. Hernessa tells me that this idea of changing how Muslims are viewed in America has been a critical piece of this work for her too and has influenced the types of songs she selects. I taught them to sing Adiyah um, Shalom, which is a Hebrew song to bring peace. Um, the Israelis and Palestinians together made the song and they sang it and the audience just went crazy. And they came to like, I cannot believe that Muslim kids are singing a Hebrew song. I said, yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. The message is so important and it's, it's important for everyone who's listening and for these kids as well. This notion of people from different religious backgrounds taking the time to really understand one another is something my colleagues have been tackling. Zinat Rahman works with the Inclusive America Project, an initiative of the Aspen Institute's Justice and Society program. She says that taking the time to really understand other religions is extremely important right now. As a country, we've seen waves of religious intolerance before. We've seen it towards Catholics. We've seen it towards Jewish refugees from Europe around World War II. Um, But what we're witnessing now, the current wave of hate speech and violence, is actually unprecedented. This increase in violent actions against religious minorities has serious consequences. These are actually like impacting people's lives where people are losing their lives. And so in Oregon, three men were attacked and two of them lost their lives when they intervened to stop a hate crime against a Muslim woman on a subway. In Kansas, two men of Indian origin were shot, one of them fatally, when they were mistaken for being Middle Eastern origin in another hate crime. And so this idea that this has always happened in our history and we've overcome it, it's 
it's maybe never happened quite this way at the speed and in which we see it happening right now. Zenot's program has produced a report on the importance of religious pluralism. The book, called Pluralism in Peril, features essays from various experts in the field who provide active ways to make our society more inclusive. At the moment, we live at a time of real um, deep polarization. And um, I often say that I think we're just simply out of practice with how to be together. Brie Laskoda is featured in Pluralism in Peril. She's the executive director of the Center for Religious and Civic Culture at the University of Southern California. She wrote an essay for the book in which she lays out how and why members of different communities can be good partners in building a more inclusive society. So if you want to understand a particular religious community, call that one up and see if you are uh, welcome to come and sit in on one of their services or if they have an educational event. And just go and observe before you ask questions. And then maybe go the second time and ask questions. And then after you've gone a couple of times and you've maybe met some people, see if there's somebody that would be willing to talk to you. And in the interim, before you talk to them, I would do a little bit of reading. Uh, read about them. But more importantly, I would read about the way in which you can ask questions so that you ask them in open uh, ways that invite people's wholehearted disclosure and their ability to feel free to answer them. And I think part of the problem is that we we just don't have a lot of these skills. Bree says that while this work is crucial, it isn't always easy, nor does it come naturally. Doing work that is inclusive and doing work that's about building bridges, to me, is some of the most countercultural work that we can do, simply because that's not the, the trend and that's not what's being uplifted and valued by many parts of society right now. And while we stand to gain a lot as a society, Zenot tells me that there are other reasons why this issue should be a national priority. Our foreign adversaries see our growing religious intolerance as a vulnerability that can be exploited. So we now know through investigations that the Russians, uh, through their online propaganda efforts to influence the 2016 presidential election, they actively worked to foment hate between religious communities in the United States. They did this through spreading anti-Muslim messages to right-wing audiences. They disseminated divisive messages to inflame Muslim American audiences. We see that our adversaries recognize that our religious diversity is a strength and that if we don't do more to really build those bridges, build those bonds between communities, they will continue to exploit this as a weakness. I told Bree about the Adams Beat Chorus and toward the end of our call asked if she sees youth education as a big piece of this work. And she does, but offered a caveat. I think reaching people at any age is valuable. What I would say, though, about the challenge around uh, young people is that I often find that adults ask young people to do things that the adults themselves are unwilling to do. If adults are unwilling to model what we want from kids, then I don't know how fair it is for us to ask the kids to shoulder the burden of doing work we won't do ourselves. Back at the Adams Center, parents start to arrive to pick up their kids. I speak to one mother about what her son got out of this experience. She tells me a story about a historic building in their town that was vandalized. It was a segregated one-room schoolhouse that had educated black students until the 1950s. It was spray-painted with swastikas and the phrase white power. The community got together uh, to clean the school. And um, 
they invited Adam's Beat to perform. And after they performed, um, everyone gathered around the school, they held hands, and they prayed. And in this group, there were uh, Muslims, Christians, um, Jews, um, Sikhs, Hindus, uh, basically Baha'is. So there's people from all walks of life, and they held hands together, and they we prayed collectively. And my son, um, it had such a big impact on him that he told me, he said, today I felt very special because we held hands and we prayed, you know, with everyone together, not just Muslims and not just Christians. It was everyone because we're all human. And I think that was the most beautiful message. Definitely powerful. You can read the report, Pluralism in Peril, from the Aspen Institute Justice and Society Program, and also learn more about the Adams Beat Chorus by visiting our website, aspeninstitute.org insight. Zach, season one of Aspen Insight has been a whirlwind. We heard from one of Martin Luther King's advisors about how activism took a toll on MLK. Yeah, that's right. And we also listened in as Institute Fellows talked about the status of racism around the world. They went over the concept of truth and reconciliation. And in the United States, the legacy of slavery is 400 plus years old. And many people feel like, well, let's let sleeping dogs lie. I would believe that until we wake up and acknowledge and confront those, uh, we'll still be haunted by them. Outgoing Aspen Institute President Walter Isaacson told us about his latest book, Leonardo da Vinci, and we learned how the Institute is working to battle America's opioid epidemic. We traveled to the Middle East, where Syrian journalists are writing about the war in their home country. And those stories have to be told, you know, for history, for the future. People have to know what happened. And I think we look at it as a duty for us to actually document and, you know, write, you know, the first draft of history. Our goal was to swing open the doors of the Aspen Institute and introduce you to the work happening inside. Season two is just around the corner. We will continue to highlight the Institute's changemakers, but this time we'll dig in deeper and hear from the people most affected by world events, domestic challenges, and problems closer to home. Our stories will educate, entertain, and encourage you to consider new and different perspectives. Aspen Insight will ramp up again in September, but until then, we'll be talking to people that you'll hear from next season. Even though we won't be dropping episodes, you can still follow us on Twitter, just search for the hashtag AspenInsight. And be sure to keep up with all the exciting things the Aspen Institute will be doing all summer. Zach and I will be busy with big events like the Aspen Ideas Festival and Aspen Security Forum that happen in June and July, which you can follow along with at aspeninstitute.org. 
That's it for today's show. Aspen Insight is a production of the Aspen Institute. The Institute is a nonpartisan forum for values-based leadership and the exchange of ideas. Thanks to our colleagues in the Aspen Institute Justice and Society program, and a very special shout-out to the Adams Beat Chorus at the Adams Center. As the Muslim Holy Month begins this week, we wanted to send our warm wishes to the Adams Center and to you, Ramadan Mubarak. I'm Marcy Krivenen. And I'm Zach St. Louis. Thanks for listening. <laughs>